This is Romans 5, verses 12 to 19. Paul writes, As sin came into the world through one man, and death came through sin, and so death spread to all because all have sinned. Sin was indeed in the world before the law, but sin is not reckoned where there is no law. Yet death exercised dominion from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sins were not like the transgression of Adam, who is a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died through the one man's trespass, much more surely have the grace of God and the free gift in the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for the many. And the free gift is not like the effect of the one man's sin. For the judgment following the trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brings justification. If because of the one man's trespass, death exercised dominion through that one, much more surely will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness exercise dominion in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. All God's people said, Amen. Therefore, just as one man's trespass led to condemnation for all, so one man's act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all. For just as the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Holy Spirit, Lord, we offer before you, Lord, our very hearts and lives and minds and spirits. And we ask you, God, now for the grace to put aside our distractions for all, Lord, that weighs on us and burdens us, anything, God, that might keep us from hearing your gospel, from hearing Jesus. Will you, Lord, take authority that is rightly yours over our own lives and hearts? It's in the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, so today uh, is the first Sunday of Lent. Um, for those of you who may not be familiar with the church calendar, um, <clears throat> welcome to the wilderness. This is our wilderness wandering season in the church. Uh, the time before Easter when we are invited for six weeks uh, to uh, do things that are just, you know, not terribly culturally popular. Uh, to do those things intentionally on purpose. Uh, things like fast, which our culture does not encourage. Uh, we live in a world of buying more and doing more and eating more and uh, everything that I want, whenever I want it. It just happens to make other people lots of money when I buy and do and eat whatever I want. We're also encouraged to say we're sorry a lot during uh, this season, uh, which is not a terribly culturally popular thing to do either. Admit when we're wrong. Admit that we have been wrong. And to do it on purpose we began this Lenten journey on Wednesday. Those of you who were here marked the beginning of the Lenten season with us on Ash Wednesday. And uh, we invited um, each other forward. We all came forward and received the sign of the cross in ashes on our forehead. 
as a reminder of our mortality, of our sin, the fact that we have indeed been sinners, are sinners, and that we're going to die. So we invited everybody forward and we reminded one another that we were going to die. Um, And I should go ahead and apologize to those of you parents who had your small children um, at the service on Ash Wednesday, because I've since learned that um, not just a few of our kids felt very sure that they were going to be invited forward, receive the ashes, and drop dead on the spot, (laughs) including my own son. And I got to tell you, those little heroes lined up, though. (laughs) Did. I tell you, it came right right all the way to the front, and it wasn't until we got home that I found out, Fisher, you thought you were going to die when you got up there? He's like, I really did. I thought that was it. They did it anyway. Unless you become like children, Jesus said, you know. What a, what a weird and maybe morbid way to spend an evening. I actually, though, really, I said this on Ash Wednesday, but it bears repeating. Um, for those of you who've gathered into the church for Lent, um, I have a ton of respect for you and for the church that would call us to do it. Um, for those who have accused the church of believing only in fairy tales and telling ourselves lovely bedtime stories because we can't face hard facts, they've never been in an Anglican church on Lent, let me tell you that. Because Lent is the time for us to confront the things that we typically spend so much time avoiding and evading. Death, it's facts. Sin, the fact of it. And during these next six weeks, we're going to be called to grapple with, wrestle with, look at the thing that we spend otherwise so much energy trying to get away from, avoiding and evading, pretending, outrunning death, or our own sin and our own faults and weaknesses. And that may sound like a terribly morbid way to spend six weeks, but here's what I love about this church, and more importantly, about the Lord who's invited you into it, is that he does so because he knows that that death and that sin is not the end of your story. Lent is a gospel season, even though we won't get to the gospel part till we get to Easter. But there is no resurrection without a cross, y'all. There just isn't. And these next six weeks will be spent grappling with, wrestling with the finitude of my life, my sin, my mortality, and with the knowledge that Jesus knows it's not the end of the story. Death has been swallowed up by life. All that is mortal has been swallowed up by immortality. Whereof death is your sting, Paul will say. So we put the ashes in the sign of a cross on your forehead so that you don't forget the death is real. The ash is real, but it is not the end. We are more than we so much of the time believe ourselves to be. And I love this season because Jesus believes me to be grown up enough to admit when I'm wrong. He calls me to be grown up enough to say I'm sorry. He calls me to be grown up enough to look at my boogeyman in the closet and face it head on. And I really appreciate that about him and about the season. Practically speaking, we choose to fast and repent during Lent. Uh, Today, by the way, is a feast day, mini resurrection day on Sundays. So for those of you who've been fasting or chosen to fast, whatever it might be for the season of Lent, Sunday is your day, friends. I'm drinking a beer today. I'm just going to tell you later. I am doing it. (laughs) I am. 
We feast on Sunday. We practice resurrection on purpose. We put our hallelujahs and the things we love down when we choose to by the authority of the Spirit in us, and we pick them back up stronger and better by that same Spirit, you know? A beautiful invitation. We choose to have less, to say we're sorry more. We would be remiss in a moment like this not to make note of the outpouring of the Spirit that's been happening at Asbury Seminary. For those of you who've been paying attention to the news, you've no doubt heard. I've been to Wilmore several times. It's a tiny town. Hard to imagine 50,000 people or so descending on it. People have asked me several times what I think about um, the so-called revival. I have a lot of thoughts. Um, not the least of which is this, that we should note that it began with an act of repentance. A 20-something-year-old kid decided to stand up and say that they were sorry. And that began a ripple effect, an outpouring of the Spirit, which many people have rightly noted felt very specific. Those who've traveled thousands of miles, some of them hundreds of miles to be there, Wilmore, um, remarked that it was decidedly not for them once they got there. As lovely and beautiful as it was, it was very clear that this outpouring was for the students. It was led by the students, for the students. For a generation of kids who've lived through, um, you know, pandemic, of course, COVID and all that, but, you know, cultural trauma, really. But the thing that I, I note that I think is so remarkable is that that healing, the spiritual healing that came and that was so desperately needed because of that trauma was preceded by an act of repentance, saying that we're sorry, owning and taking responsibility for something. And that's the kind of countercultural part. Trauma is real. And the things that people go through as a result of that trauma is real. And please hear me. I am a strong believer. If we stick around and you stick around and we hang out together long enough, you'll hear me more than once say, therapy is good. You should do it. Mental and emotional health are as important as spiritual health. They all go together. It gets really hard to draw lines between them. But we live in a world that is very happy to diagnose our trauma, help us explain why we act the way that we do. Well, I have attachment disorder, or I experience this kind of abuse, or whatever, and that may be very true. That trauma, no doubt, at the root of why you've acted the way that you've acted. And yet what I love about this faith is that it calls me to both end. I can acknowledge that that's true. I can say, I lived through a pandemic. Give me a break. It's hard. As a mom, I had little kids. I can say that, and that be true, and also still have to say, God have mercy and forgive me. Take responsibility for my part, for my actions. And the reason that there's so much power in that is because it's an acknowledgement that I have authority. You know, I do. More importantly, I have the authority that God has given to me. So I really love what was on display in Wilmore. What a powerful thing. Um, we also don't have to drive in our cars to Kentucky to experience the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying you shouldn't. I'm just saying good news. If it's renewal we're after, 
you know? If it's renewal we're after, maybe we should just spend more time on our knees right here in Northwest Arkansas. In our own homes. What does it say about us that it's easier to imagine driving hours in our car to get to the Holy Spirit than it is to carve out space in our day to be with him? You know? I think he showed up in Wilmore to bless those kids, and then he is by extension saying to all of us, I hear y'all. Let's just say we're sorry and let's move on. Every act of renewal begins with repentance. John preached it. Jesus preached it. He preaches it still. There's a lot of freedom in saying you're sorry. That's why the image is of a person hitting their knees. Because if you've ever known what surrender is like, it feels like that. It's like when you've been standing for a really long time, mustering up a lot of energy and willpower, and then all of a sudden you let go and you drop to your knees. That's a visual of surrender, but there's an emotional equivalent of that. Trying to brace yourself, toughen yourself, harden yourself, stand up, prove you're right, let everybody know how right you are, and then all of a sudden you just go. That's why baptism is such a powerful image because when Jesus was baptized, just like all of you who are baptized, at some point you had to entrust your life into the hands of another person who put you into water and brought you back up, surrender. There's a freedom in it. You can just let it go. There's a freedom in repentance. So speaking of freedom, I want to talk about Romans. Why Romans? during Lent. In order to make sense of why we would talk about Romans during Lent, we got to understand the thing or two about freedom because I think that that's what Lent is all about. Alexander Schmemann, who maybe you've seen the book out in the foyer, he wrote a book called Great Lent. He's an Orthodox priest. I don't read a lot of Orthodox priests, just to be honest. Um, I'm too Baptist probably most of the time, but... Um, that book's incredible. If you saw it here, or if you're looking for something to read during Lent, it's incredible. I'm brilliant. And he talks about Lent as liberation from enslavement to sin. It's a way of being free. So what do we mean by free? What is Christian freedom, after all? Because um, here's, how, here's how Paul describes what it, um, freedom. Paul says this, he said, this is chapter 6. Thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You've been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Well, I like the set free from sin bit. Slaves to righteousness. What does that mean? I don't know that I love that. What is Christian freedom? I think that Part of the reason that we struggle to understand what Paul meant is because we have two really clear, primary, operating, very antithetical definitions of freedom. Our cultural definition of freedom sounds something like this. I am free when I am able to do whatever I want. When I can go where I want and eat what I want and buy what I want and do what I want. That's freedom. I'm free to the degree that I can do those things. 
But let's contrast that with what happened in, oh, I don't know, Turkey over the last few weeks. When people were buried under hundreds of pounds of concrete in the dark and in the cold, sure that they were going to die. And then after, you don't know, three days, you hear somebody's voice. And then they lift the concrete off of you and pull you out. If you'd ask that person, what does it mean to be free? You know what they would say? It means I get to live. I'm going to live. And if you had said to them, amazing, now just like go do whatever you want. I wonder, I wonder if a person like that might say, yeah, maybe. I want to I live well though because now I'm free. So I would like this life that I've been given to be a good one. I would like to make sure that I'm living well, not just to live, not just to exist, not just to have whatever I want, but live well. That is Christian freedom, y'all. Is that you would be set free from the power of sin and death to live well, a with God abundant life. That's what we've been talking about for the last six weeks. That we would learn to live well, and that Lent would, like the rest of the graces of the church, be a servant to that end and setting you free. Well, how? What does that even mean? Paul writes this. Listen to the verse that we read. And I know he says a lot of words. Just try. Even Peter thought he was hard to understand sometimes. We get a pass. If because of the one man's trespass, death exercised dominion through that one, much more surely, Paul says, will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness exercise dominion in life through that one man, Jesus Christ. In other words, you are meant to exercise dominion in your life. That means have authority over the things that would keep you from living well and being the person you were called and created to be. I know how hard the things you've been through are. I am a person currently at this moment in my life having to very consciously with the Holy Spirit make sure that I'm not living out of a place of hurt and bitterness. I know what it feels like to be hurt and feel justified and entitled even in your anger and to operate out of it. But the gospel would say, you know what, as powerful as that hurt is, as powerful as that pain is, or that betrayal, or that fear, or that anxiety, it is not greater than me, Jesus says. It is not greater than he who is in you. And you do not have to prove yourself or anything else. You can let God be God and surrender to the Spirit, let peace work through your life, and be free. Because the trick of the same snake who whispered in our ear in the beginning is that it'll feel better for you to operate out of your sin. It'll feel better for you to let the anger drive you. It'll feel better for you to let the, the betrayal drive you. It won't. It will make you into someone you do not want to be. So take the authority that is rightly yours. Exercise dominion in life. Those of us who are evangelicals, and I am one. When we think of Romans, we think mostly of the Romans road. Yeah? Um, 
goes something like this, in case it's been a minute since you heard it. All have sinned. The wages of sin are... Yeah, that's right. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, so that all might be saved. Anyone who confesses with his mouth, Jesus is Lord, he'll be saved. That's the Romans road. True. It's true. And yet, here's what's missing. All pulled out from Paul's letter, all verses in Romans, but the thrust of Paul's letter was not only for you to hear him say or Jesus say, you have been set free from your sins so that you might be saved for heaven. And it's just you. That's, that's part of the gospel, but it's not the whole gospel. <laughs> Paul says in the beginning of Romans, for in the gospel, by the gospel, the righteousness of God has come, has been revealed. The whole letter is about the righteousness of God. It's not about my salvation. This whole thrust of Paul's letter, he loves you and he loves me and he loved himself, but really what got him at the end of the day is, oh, the depths and the wisdom, the knowledge of who? God. God's goodness. God's righteousness is the whole letter. And God's righteousness is Old Testament speak for God's promise to save us. All of us in the world, to set the world to rights, He's committed to it. He wants to do it. He made promises. He made a covenant. And Israel, all of Israel and all the Old Testament is not just a preface to Paul. There's this long story that Jesus is telling, that God has been telling from the garden all the way through about how he wants to set the world to rights, to make good on his promise. And what Paul saw in the person of Jesus was that. Jesus is the way that God intends to set the world to rights. It is through him and by him that he has come to save us, and not just for heaven's sake, y'all, that I might exercise dominion in life now, today, over my hurt, over my anger, over my shame. And until you have had the weight of shame, or fear lifted off of you, you do not know how it feels to be set free. You don't have to tell me how hard things are right now for you. God knows. He cares how hard it is right now. And it's, it's because he cares and because he loves you that he will look at you and say it's hard but it is not bigger than me. It is not more than the spirit that I've given you to get through. So during Lent, I choose to let that knowledge, that gospel, bind me to Jesus and practice things that will call to mind the reality of my own humanity. I ask God every day, all right, it's time. Let's review. Where did we fall short? Oh, I can't really think of anything. <laughs> that never happens, by the way. I can always think of something. But even if I couldn't, help me, Holy Spirit. Help me see. Help me know. And then when he does, I can hear a still, small whisper. Are you free enough to say you're sorry? Are you free enough 
to do it differently next time. Let me help. He's good, y'all. He's for you. And I get to go into this wilderness with Jesus. Thanks be to God. You guys know that song we used to sing in my Baptist church? What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And what can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of feels good to be clean. And that's the invitation to you. You get to walk out of here clean and do it all over again with him tomorrow. Yeah. Holy Spirit, help us, Jesus. Thank you, God, for bearing with us in our humanity. Thank you, God, for helping us, Lord, to be more than we are or we think that we are. Have mercy, Lord. In Jesus' name.